I'm sorry, Dave. I'm afraid I can't do that. None of these men are criminals in the usual sense. They've all got jobs. They all live seemingly normal, decent lives. But they've got their problems. And they've all got a little larceny in them. Hello, and welcome to Film Church Radio. This is the podcast that treats cinema as a religion. It's Sunday. I'm Lewis. And I'm Brandon. And we are here to talk about movies. Each week, Brandon and I alternate picking a film for us both to watch and discuss. Uh, But this week, we are continuing our 2023 director retrospective on the one and only Stanley Kubrick. This is the third week, so we are um, watching The Killing from 1956. This is part of a series that we're doing where we're going to watch chronologically the films of Kubrick and discuss them in detail, rank them, and see how the master blooms as a filmmaker. Um, before we jump into um, the film and the other films that we've been watching this week, um, we'd like to say thank you to everyone who's been listening to the podcast and sending their love for the show. Um, I think when you do something like this... Um, it's really exciting that people are, you know, watching it or listening to it um, and being a part of it and just, I don't know, being a part of what you're putting out. It's really great to see, you know, the downloads continue to grow and and people enjoying the show. Um, if you do enjoy the show, please let us know. Leave us a rain and review wherever you listen. That would be really great. Help other people join the congregation um, and be a part of what we're doing. Um, and also let us know what you would want us to watch in the future. Um we love recommendations and like we say, we, we pick these films for each other. We kind of recommend films to each other. So if you're a listener and you've got a film that you really want us to hear us talk about, please send it across. Let us know what it is. We'd love to do it. Of course, after we finish the Stanley Kubrick retrospective, which is still a few weeks away from completion. Um, you can also go go ahead and go over to our YouTube channel. and um, We've got some extra content on there. Um, and I think pretty soon... Um, before the Oscars anyway, we'll be doing a special Oscar prediction thing over there as well. So you can go and see what we, um, who we want to win, who we think will win, the same as last year, um, and that will be over on our YouTube page. Um, but before we jump into the main film, um, we are going to talk about the films other than The Killing that we've watched this week. Um, and as always, we have a list, as long as our arms, that we've been watching. Um, so let's jump into it. Brandon, first of all, how are you? I'm good. How are yeah, you? Yeah, I'm good. Yeah, I'm excited to talk about the killing. Yeah, me too. Uh, this uh, this series has been really fun so far. I'm learning a lot about the old cubes. Yeah, I know <laughs> it's it's exciting because, as we both said, we you know we've watched a lot of Kubrick, but I don't think we know much about him. So yeah. you know, putting it into context is really exciting. I'm enjoying it a lot too. Yeah, it's probably the same with most people. So I'm excited that like I feel like people listening to this might be learning along with us. Yeah, yeah, that's great. Because he's what a we very want. mysterious man. He is. Yeah, it's uh, spooky. <laughs> <laughs> but we've been watching some films, um, and there's a film that Brandon yes. and I both watched. Um, talking of the Oscar. Um, the Oscar race and the nominations that came out this week, and we both went and watched The Whale, 
um, starring Brendan Fraser. Um, Brendan, how did you like it? I liked it a lot. I mean, it it's obviously it's kind of what you expect. I think. I mean, it looks like a very depressing movie, and it yeah. is. Yeah. Uh, it's a very sad, you know, film, and I mean, it's it's uh based on a play, you know, and so it it all takes place, you know, it's it's a very kind of confined to one space kind of film, yeah, uh, character driven, obviously, and like, um, yeah, it's like a you know a stage play put on the big screen. And, uh, you know, it's just, it's made, it's, it's great. I mean, it's a, it's a very well made film. It's a very deep film. Um, you know, will make you think about a lot of things and about your life and, um, yeah, I mean, it, it was kind of all the things that I expected going into it and it was almost just like, I mean, obviously like I, I, it's hard to say that you enjoy something like this. Yeah, it <laughs> you is. Know? Mm-hmm. I mean, I, I gave it four and a half stars out of five. So it's like, yeah. it's a very good film. But like to say I enjoyed it, you know, it's it's almost like I I knew sort of what I was kind of going to get out of this. Uh, and it was just a matter of like accepting the experience. <laughs> I don't yeah. know. It seems like a weird way to put it, but like. Um. Yeah, I mean, Brandon Fraser is is incredible, and yeah, it's just a heartbreaking movie. You know what I mean? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It was. Um. Yeah. It's. Uh. It's definitely a weepy. It's the kind of thing that you take like a box of tissues in, um, and that final twenty minutes it just builds to such a emotional crescendo. You know, um, yeah. it's it's hard to to not shed a tear, I think. Um, but I also think that that's the way that, you know, it's been going the whole, the whole way through. Um, and as I wrote on my, like, I did like a little, not a review, just a few thoughts, which I'm trying to do a little bit more on Letterboxd. Just when I come out of a film, just write a few things that struck me, you know, just to have it on, like on record, I guess. Um, yeah. But the thing, like, I think a lot of the, the areas that it fell down for me made sense when it said, based on the stage play, the whale or whatever the stage play was yeah. called. I don't know if it was the same title. Yeah. Um, Cause I did feel very, and at, at first I thought it was the filmmaker putting us in that position of like confined to this one room, you know, like living this life. Um, but I think because it was a stage play, it's kind of like, that's, that's where it was, you know? Um, yeah, exactly. Yeah. Um, but yeah, a few things didn't quite work. I don't, I mean, I know that his daughter had to be mean for it to, yeah. you know, for the, some of the character beats to happen. But like, I just, oh, I just couldn't stand her, you know. Yeah. And I, and I don't know if that's what you were supposed to take from it, and and the whole, you know, oh, there's some good in her. Like, I, I didn't, I didn't see that I, at all. Yeah. Well, I, you know, it's almost like, yeah, I don't think rose tinted. I mean, it's left it, it. Yeah. Yeah, I don't. I don't think it's it's necessarily. Uh, it's not a black and white film. I yeah. don't mean as in the color. I mean, I mean like <laughs> it's not. You know, his understanding of his daughter 
Yeah. Uh, yeah, it's like rose-tinted glasses. So, it, you know, it, it's left up to you as an audience member if you want to believe that or not. Yeah. Um, And, uh, you know, it, it does some stuff with... I think all the characters like really feel real, you know, they yeah, feel lived yeah. in, they feel like they've believable and that they've lived these lives and stuff. Um, I thought it, it did this interesting thing with the, uh, the missionary kid. Um, cause it kind of points out one of the flaws of, yeah. um, evangelism, which yeah. is, you know, which there are many, you know, and, and there's some good things too, but, um, <laughs> um uh, at this point people may or may not understand my stance as far as uh, yeah religion goes but um but one of the things i think this film does well is pointing out uh the kind of holier than thou um attitude that some evangelicals put on themselves uh, yeah. and and they kind of tell themselves that they're doing it out of uh, wanting to help others, but yeah. really they're just like disgusted by others and they think that they're better than them. If that makes sense. Yeah. And, and, and I'm, I'm not describing it as like, if you're offended by me saying that I'm just trying to describe what the film is portraying. So, and I yeah. think it portrays it really well. So if you're interested in, understanding what I'm talking about. I think the film can can tell you better than I can. Um but yeah, that was one of the things I thought was was really good about it and and obviously just the performances and the characters and I, you know, I like films like this. Like this this is almost like a it, it's like a it's almost like a what a first-time filmmaker would look for to do. Yeah. Yeah. Um but you've got uh Darren Aronofsky, you know, one of the the greatest filmmakers of our time, yeah. doing it later in his career, uh, which mm-hmm. is interesting. But I mean, it's he's he's also somebody I think that that is just drawn towards what he's drawn towards. So he yeah, I don't think he's really thinking about like, oh, this would have been good for me to do years ago. Yeah, you know? I do wonder if some of this is is COVID related as well, because um, one of the things my dad noticed was that there was a co, you know as there probably is on every film now, there's, you know, a COVID coordinator or whatever in the credits. Um, oh, and I right. do wonder yeah. whether, you know, just coming out of lockdown and being like, okay, let's just get a small crew, you know, do something a little yeah, bit. Like maybe, yeah. Looking intimate. for something. Yeah. A little less um, on the wide scale. And this, and this did it. I think the one, the one reservation I had, I mean, someone who is overweight going into a film called the whale about someone who is obese is a bit worrying. Yeah. Um, but I yeah. think it did a really good job of portraying that, you know, it's not just because he wants to eat, it's a coping mechanism, um, yeah. and, you know, for mental illness as well. Yeah, um, exactly. Yeah. It, it, it points out that it's like a huge mental health issue. Yeah, exactly. And I think that that's, I, I'm glad that, I'm glad that that was portrayed in the way that it was. You know, because yeah. I feel like the, yeah. and I know that this may be different for me, but I feel like the, the scenes where he is like gorging on food were more emotional than disgusting. Yeah, you know? exactly. Yeah. I, I felt the same way. Good. I mean, yeah, yeah it wasn't like, Ew. um, <laughs> yeah, exactly. You were just like, you were, you just, 
you really kind of felt bad for the guy. Yeah. You yeah. know, and you just wanted to kind of, you kind of felt the way that, you know, his, uh, his sister-in-law does that just yeah. like, wants to help him. Yeah. And, and it also, you know, I mean, it, it's got such a range of characters, like speaking of the sister-in-law, like she, <laughs> I think it, it, it really shows, I don't, I don't know. Like it really shows that sometimes people just need someone like that in their lives. You know what yeah. I mean? Like yeah. not everybody has that kind of person yeah. in their lives, you know, especially people dealing with mental health. Issues. Yeah, exactly. Um, and I mean, it's like a, like I said, it's a super depressing movie. I I think that kind of the overall message of the movie is that you can't save anyone, and that's just like a horrible thought. <laughs> yeah. So like, yeah, it goes against yeah, know. it goes against every <laughs> like film, I guess, up until that point, because every you know, there's so many films about redemption, um, and this yeah. is just like. Yeah, people are just taking their own paths. Yeah. And Darren Aronofsky, like he like his I've always really liked his take on religion. Like and yeah. his, his he I mean and it it's something that I guess I'd never I've never really thought too deeply about maybe until now because I've I've started to see it more and more in his films and I maybe yeah. I should go back and watch some of his other stuff to see kind of what other um seeds or, or sprinkles are there of about religion because i mean he did the noah's ark movie yeah um I which i liked that. a lot i know yeah. i know a lot of people didn't like it but i really enjoyed that movie and then the the movie mother which was also kind of uh <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> divided between people but i really liked it i thought it was a really um eye-opening allegory of basically mother earth you know, and, and the yeah. history of our universe kind of repeating itself. Yeah. And it, and it goes into like biblical stuff too, which is cool. Um, but yeah, I'm, I'm, I mean, he's like, I said, he's like one of the, he's, he's one of the greatest filmmakers alive today. Yeah. You know, current, like current filmmakers, you know? Mm. So, um, yeah, I think he, this movie and, and, him as a filmmaker there it's and Brandon Fraser I mean this is going to be talked about for yeah. years and I think Brandon Fraser has a really good chance at winning yeah I think so too um I think he's probably the well he is the favorite mhm mm um and yeah. Hong Chao who plays um the the nurse like sister-in-law character she is wonderful as well and I was really happy to see her name nominated too yeah so yeah that's awesome yeah, it's good. Yeah. Um, hopefully, if you haven't seen it, we didn't spoil it too much. But I mean, it it is exactly what you expect. Yeah. So. Yeah. <laughs> you know. Um, but other movies I've gone to see in this cinema, <gasps> the synagogue, the church, yeah. the film church is uh, Avatar: The Way of Water. Cool. Um, which I <laughs> cool. Yeah. <laughs> um. Yeah, which is exactly how I felt about it going into it. I was like, I mean, I wanted to see it, you yeah, know. Yeah. And I didn't have high expectations of the first one, but was pleasantly surprised and kind of same with this one. I mean, it's a good it's a good movie. You know, it's a good like 
popcorn flick family adventure movie. Yeah. Um, you know, it, it, it's kind of everything you've seen before, but also done in a new, fresh way that makes it fun. If that makes sense. No, it does. Yeah. Um, so yeah, I mean, I, I really enjoyed it. You know, it didn't like, it wasn't like, oh my God, when is this going to end? It was like, this is like, I had fun the entire time. You yeah. know what, I'm, know what yeah. I mean? So I probably won't watch it again, but I'll watch the next one kind of a thing. <laughs> mm. Yeah. You know, um, but it's also, you know, it's, it's, it's the type of movie that I've outgrown, I think as well. Yeah. It's like, I can still sit down and enjoy it. Yeah. I really enjoyed it, but I'm not like, oh, this is the greatest thing ever. Yeah. yeah. Um, so yeah. And I, then I, I went back and sorry, go ahead. I was just going to say, I do want to see it in the cinema, but I just, I don't think I'm going to get a chance now, even though it's probably going to still be on for the next few weeks, if not months um because of the business is doing but yeah, yeah i just yeah it's carving out the time and kind of going to see it um because i know that's how he wants you to see it on the biggest screen it, it would be probably easier once your kid is a bit older and you can take her oh know? yeah we'd go we're, we're gonna go and see everything yeah exactly it's the kind of movie you would take her to yeah yeah, yeah. take your kids to but yeah sorry i didn't mean to interrupt you no, no, not at all. That was pretty much it. Just needing to, yeah. you know, wanting to see on the big screen. I think something's going to be lost watching it at home. Um, yeah. But, you know, that's the way the cookie crumbles. Do what you got to do. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, so then after that, I re-watched the first one. Yeah. Uh, you know, I kind of did it backwards, but, you know, and the first one is like, it's fine. Yeah. It's, it's not a bad movie. It's just, you know. It's it's fine. Yeah. Um it's kind of cool, I guess. <laughs> you know. It's yeah. not it's not like it's not I wouldn't really call it art. Yeah. You know what I mean? It, it's like it's entertainment. Yeah. I mean, it's art in the sense that thousands of artists created this world. You yeah. know? Yeah. But it it's it's uh it's it's not art in the sense that like um it's going to change your perspective on anything or yeah. make you see the world differently um yeah you know yeah i remember <laughs> i might be ripping into it too hard but like no. james cameron like he's he's a good he's a he's like a business filmmaker you know what i mean like he's he knows how to make the business of film yeah. Yeah, he's which is entertainment, you know. And exactly. Yeah. Yeah. He's just going with the with the tide at the moment, not to put a pun on it, but yeah, I can remember <laughs> I can remember with like the first avatar just cuz I was I think first year of film school, so I was like really it really like I was just so pretentious about it. I was like Yeah. I was like this isn't a cinema he's destroying it because it had a massive theatrical release did really well i remember it because it really annoyed me but then he released a like single disc dvd with no special features just the movie and then he re-released it in cinemas with like four minutes added footage and then he re-released the dvd but on blu-ray as well with special features and i was just like it, i was so cynical about it you know just like oh just so yeah money hungry you know because that's people yeah. that that really liked it. Obviously, paid 
you know, at least four times. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. But now I'm just like, oh, whatever. If people do like it and they're willing to pay it, you know, do it. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. I mean, yeah. It, it's like people people enjoy what they enjoy. I don't, you know. Yeah. I don't I don't want to say anything that takes away from that or or be yeah. like, "Oh, this is trash." I don't yeah, I don't think that. Like I don't and, think it's trash. I I think that it's a very good, well-made and well-produced film, you know. Yeah. Um, and I mean and the, yeah, go ahead. Yeah, I was just going to say that like especially at this time, you know, we've talked about Spider-Man, we've talked about um top gun maverick and stuff like that but for a film to take over two billion i mean that is amazing for the cinema industry like these small cinemas that have got people coming in to see avatar great you know if it keeps them open another year i'm all for it you know keep making them keep taking two billion if it keeps cinemas yeah business i mean especially in like a world where there's so much negativity there's yeah. so much there's so many things to get depressed about there's so many things to be cynical about and you know feel like it's the end times and you know all that kind of thing yeah that like it, you know if <laughs> if a movie like this can give people some kind of hope or joy yeah, yeah. hell yeah like yeah, you it. know enjoy the hell out of it there's a guy that i work with that's seen this movie six times wow <laughs> wow yeah he's wow. like i love it he's like i'm gonna go see it at least one more time that's and great so I'm like, I'm like, yeah wow that that is awesome you know and before before i had seen it when he told me that i was like i I just don't understand you know and then i went and saw it and i was like it was it was really good yeah you know like it's a really fun time so don't knock until you try it exactly and that's it you know <laughs> i do want to watch it um hopefully soon we'll see um and yeah. I, you know even if i don't like it who cares it's made enough money it doesn't need me to like it <laughs> yeah um well i know we're still on me and we haven't talked about the films you've watched yet but we're and we're 20 minutes in but I, I feel like I have to talk about the next film because yeah. of um, Sterling Hayden, who was in the film that we're talking about today, The Killing. Yeah. He's yeah. also in The Godfather, which I rewatched. And if you follow me on Letterboxd, you might know that this is my top film, top favorite yeah. movie ever of all time. Um, and I, uh, you know, I knew that he was in this movie, but it was it, I didn't rewatch it because we watched The Killing. Um, my yeah. brother-in-law was saying he's been wanting to rewatch all the Godfather movies, so we sat down and watched um, The Godfather. But uh, it was nice. It was a nice like, oh yeah, he is in this, and yeah. he kind of plays a a pivotal character in the film. Um, obviously, I think his probably his like. Uh, most iconic role to me is in Doctor Strangelove, which we're gonna get to uh-huh, in uh-huh. the Kubrick series. But um, yeah, it was just kind of cool to to think about the films that this guy has been in, and he's yeah. never really been on my radar. You know what I mean? But uh-huh. um, yeah, uh, yeah, that's Godfather great. Godfather I mean, is amazing, and he's amazing yeah. in it. I uh, found my Godfather box set the other day. I, I have a list, like a box of films in the attic that we actually like went through. 
and it was in there. Yeah. So I've pulled it out. So I'll be doing a rewatch of the Godfather series soon as well. Heck yeah. Yeah. Is it the DVD? Time. It is. I or think is it was. It the... I think was it the fifth, fortieth anniversary DVD set? I want to say. Um, it's not like the. It's not the. Um, it's not the one that has like the Coppola, Coppola signature on it, right? Like the Coppola restoration or whatever. It might be. It might be. It's got kind of. Mm, I can't picture it now, but yeah, it's. Let me have a look. It's got like it's. It's got like blood on the. Co- I know that sounds very like but it's like a tuxedo <laughs> on the cover, with like blood. On okay. It. Um, Interesting. And I, I think, don't think I've think seen that one. Has got his signature. Let me just go and have a look. I miss my DVD set. I used to have one, and I've talked about this on the show before, but I sold my film collection a long time ago when I was um, a young man, uh, which is regrettable for religious reasons. <laughs> And then, uh, and now I worship cinema, so go figure. It is that one, is the uh, Coppola Restorations. Okay, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I think I had the one that was like before that. Yeah. It's been, it's been a long time since I've like watched them though. Yeah. So. Dude, they're amazing. Like on this rewatch, I... I like cried at different moments that I've never cried at before. And I'm like this, like it's, I think it's the depth of all of the characters. Like all of the characters are so real and it is, um, or they're portrayed so real. Yeah. That makes sense. Like that, the actors are amazing. And, uh, I mean, it's about a very large family, which I have. And so like, there's so many, I think every time I watch it, like the the plot points and the react, like the how the characters react to things that's going on in the family and all that stuff, it, everything just is perfect. Like it just makes yeah. so much sense to me. Yeah. That yeah, it's just yeah, it's a perfect film. Um, and if you're a fan of The Godfather, um, or you know, just cinema in general. There's a really great documentary about John Cazell who plays Fredo, um, and he died very young. Uh, you can find it on YouTube. It's called "I Knew It Was You Rediscovering John Cazell." Um, he was only ever in five movies, and they were all nominated for Best Picture. Wow! Yeah, I know him from Dog Day Afternoon, which he made yeah. me cry in Dog Day Afternoon. Yeah, it's a it's a very short documentary. It's like. 30 or 40 minutes nice. uh, okay. but it's it's really good and it's got a lot of people in it that um yeah were kind of inspired by him or acted with him um Meryl Streep's in it which they had a they had a relationship um when he was alive obviously and yeah uh yeah it's it's really good like it, it's really cool you know just as as a fan of cinema history just to watch and see how much he influenced other actors uh, yeah. that are around today and stuff. Well, yeah, I'm going to have to seek it out. I did see a Letterboxd review and I was like, okay, got to watch that one. Yeah, 
Yeah. I'll send you the link. I'll find the YouTube link and send it to you. But yeah, that was it for me. (laughs) Sorry for being so long-winded. No. But what have you been watching? Yeah. um, Let me just talk. I'm going to talk on uh, a few of these because there was quite a list. um, But quite a lot of them were like rewatches or just ones that we had on in the background. Um, But I did watch Tar from 2022. Um, Big performance from Kate Blanchett that, you know, nominated again. Um, So she's tipped to win, I think. Um, A very interesting film i think it's very slow in parts and the builds and it you know it, it kind of i don't know it doesn't build right like a normal film um it's a uh-huh. bit disjointed um but her performance is amazing i don't think the film itself is like a masterpiece but Kate blanchett mm. like saves it i think because she's so engaging on screen um and then yeah. there's a view i read after that said it was very shakespearean uh, which I think is just a perfect mm. way to to describe it because it is, you know, um, and also just a product of of 2022, 2023. Yeah. You know, um, like cancel culture and and things like that, I guess. Um, it is it's very interesting. I don't know if it's like going to go down as one of my favorite films of the year, um, but I'm glad I've seen it. Yeah. Anytime somebody says something is Shakespearean, I'm like, okay, so it's about the acting. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, she steals it. It's like Brendan Fraser. It's just like, it's yeah. That's all you remember, you know. Yeah. Um, and yeah. they they know it. So. Yeah. Um, yeah, it was it was fine. And then we then I rewatched Fablemans. Um, my with my parents being here, we watched it together. Yes. So how was the second watch? Oh. I just love it as much as I did the first time. I think there's a lot more in there that I could pick up on, like a lot more like like dialogue and performances. I th- I still think Michelle Williams's performance is like is so out of left field. I don't know. It, it's the way that she talks and the way that she acts. It's very dreamlike. Um, yeah. And I mean, it's Spielberg, so it must have been like purposeful. Um, but I mean, it's just I just love it. I absolutely love it. Yeah, dude. Um, there's a podcast called Smartless. That's yeah. really great. Um, and uh, they interviewed Steven Spielberg on it, and yeah. he was talking about like <laughs> he was talking about like prepping the film and stuff and writing it. And he was like, you know, when on the first day of shooting and stuff, he was like, "All right, everybody, like I got all my crying out in the writing." <laughs> Of this film, you know, so we're good. Like, we're just, you know, we're yeah. gonna make the movie now and and whatever. And then when he saw, um, yeah, when he saw Michelle Williams and Paul Dano in costume, dressed as his parents, like mm. he just immediately like broke down in tears. And then yeah. they just like came over and hugged him, oh, and like bless him. <laughs> yeah, it's just like, <laughs> wow. Yeah. Yeah. And I'm glad he got the chance to make it this way as well. Because, um, you, you know, you can tell it wasn't too early in his career where he wasn't quite, you know, trying to, like, shoehorn it into other stuff. You know, it's it, it's exactly, like, you can just, it's just made of memories. You know, there's so many bits in it. I'm just like, this is obviously a very strong memory. Like, with the paper cups and the p- plates where they just throw it into the middle of the table and, like, flow, throw away the tablecloth. I'm just like... This is all yeah. memories that he's obviously like are just like very strong for him. 
Yeah, exactly. Yeah, and it's the kind of film that you would expect a filmmaker to make a little bit earlier in their career when they're yeah. trying to prove that they're an artist. Yeah. You know, but I think Spielberg is such a... He's such an amazing and, you know, possibly the greatest filmmaker to ever live because yeah. he's been able to... You know, I mean, we were talking about um, James Cameron earlier. Like, James yeah. Cameron is a business entertainment director. Steven yeah. Spielberg can kind of cross the line between both. He can you do know, everything. He can, he can, yeah. Yeah. And, and um, I mean, he. I think the year that he kind of proved that was, like, with Jurassic Park and Schindler's yeah. List coming out the yeah. same year. It's like, yeah. Amazing. Yeah, I just love it. Um, and... I could just watch it again and again, which I probably will do. Um, yeah. But it's great. Well, speaking of Michelle Williams, <laughs> I know it's it's we're kind of needing to get on with the show, but uh, I wanted I, I wanted to ask you if you had seen My Week with Marilyn, which I have not seen, but yeah. she plays Marilyn Monroe, which is obviously the a big role that's up for an Oscar this year. Um, and you didn't like that movie. Have you seen My Week with Marilyn? So I've seen it a long time ago. Um, and I think that at the time I was I was wanting a caricature. I was wanting someone to be mm. like, you know, to do the voice and to look exactly like her, which, I mean, she didn't look exactly, you know, it's kind of artist interpretation. But I think going back to it now, I think I would enjoy it a lot more. Um yeah. Because at the time, I just I don't think it was what I was after. But now I think I would enjoy it a lot more because it would be more of a character study, and you know you could get. It's not necessarily about making her look like Marilyn. Um, yeah. But yeah, yeah, it's uh, it's interesting that she's uh, that she plays so many real people. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, she's also in uh, Venom. Venom. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, mind blowing. Right, <laughs> like, yeah, <laughs> doing the Venom films and then Spielberg calls. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Hey, I saw you in Venom. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I think you'd be great as my mom. <laughs> yeah, um, but I mean, Seth Rogen is also in it. It's like it's. Yeah, I mean, Spielberg is a guy that can kind of just see talent, but yeah, yeah. Well, that's pretty much it. I mean, there was a lot of stuff that you know, older stuff that we'd watched before. But yeah, that's all I've uh, watched this week, apart from our main presentation. The Killing from 1956. Uh, the letterbox summary is In all its fury and violence, career criminal Johnny Clay recruits a sharpshooter, a crooked police officer, a bartender, and a betting teller named George, among others, for one last job before he goes straight and gets married. But when George tells his restless wife about the scheme to steal millions from the racetrack where he works, she hatches a plot of her own. Bum bum. Um, the second um, noir in like quick succession. Um, yes following last week's Killer's Kiss. Um, I had seen this before. Um, I know that when we spoke about it on the first episode, this is... Early Kubrick is, like... I said I really liked Early Kubrick, and I think this is the film that solidifies that for me. Um, I love this film a lot. 
Um, and I'm interested to know, like, with it being your first time watch, what you, what your initial thoughts were about it. Because yeah. I know you really, really like Killer's Kiss. So while I was I watching, did. I was like, is this going to be as good for Brandon as Killer's Kiss? Right. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah. And I even, I even was talking to our friend Zach recently about it. Yeah. And he, he was like, you know, the killing onward is, is a masterpiece. Yeah. And, um, and I was like, well, I really liked Killer's Kiss. Like, I thought it was amazing. Yeah. Um, and it's really hard. Like, that I, I've also talked about on the show that I like uh, directors' first films a lot. Like, I yeah. like to see what they can do um, when they don't know they're going to have success and yeah. when they, you know, have very little money to work with, uh, but they're still trying to make the best thing possible and trying to create art and trying to create entertainment. Um, and, uh, you know, fear and desire was like, it, it was a very much a student film. Whereas killer's kiss really felt more like a first film or like a movie movie. Yeah. Um, and, uh, and, 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 you know, it's it's kind of like a a well made indie film noir. You know what I mean? And mm. uh, and so I, I think all of those aspects made me love it even more. The killing, um, it, it's really hard for me also to take myself out of uh, <laughs> the Goliath that is Stanley Kubrick. Yeah. Right. And watch this, you know, without knowing what's coming next. Yeah. Because um, a part of me wants to wants to say that um, this was, you know, like I I said last week that Killer's Kiss was like Kubrick saying, okay, I can make I can make a really good entertaining popcorn <laughs> flick. Yeah. You know, quote unquote business film if you want. Um, even though it you know didn't do like very well. Um. But it felt like that type of movie. Um, and the killing feels like, <laughs> almost feels like Kubrick being like, oh, well, I make mature films. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Uh, and so, and so part of me is like kind of watching it with my arms crossed. <laughs> yeah. You know, like, I know okay, what you, mean. you know, yeah, yeah. yeah. Like, tell me you're brilliant. Like, show me, like, yeah. you know. Show me what you can do. Like, yeah, exactly. Um, and I don't think, I don't think he went into either of those films thinking that. Um, <laughs> but it's it's hard for me to, like, take myself out of that mindset and watch yeah. it without thinking it. That said, like, it's a very good movie. I liked it a lot. I enjoyed it a lot. Um, yeah. And, uh was on the edge of my seat like I, I watched it twice and it's kind of interesting like watching it the second time how boring some of it is mm. if that makes sense like and, and it, the movie's not boring by any means but yeah. what I mean is like uh there's scenes where characters are walking into buildings and walking out of buildings yeah. <laughs> Yeah, but you're like on the edge of your seat yeah. the whole time because you're because you don't know what's going on yet. Like mm -hmm. you're being fed information, uh, bit by bit, and sometimes fragmented in in a non chronological way to where 
while that person is walking into the building, you're like, why are they walking into that building? What yeah. does this have to do with it? You know, there's a gun in that case. Who's what? Who's like? Who's going to get the gun next? And yeah. why is he putting it in there? And you know that kind of a thing. So it's it's a very um, it's a very good movie. You know, yeah. and and yeah. it's it's also hard to not to to take yourself out of. Uh, I mean, this is 2023, and this is a film that came out in 1956, and it's so clear, like how many films have been influenced by this film. Yeah, mm-hmm. you know that it that you can't like I, I, I just wonder what it would have been like to watch this film back then because it must have been so thrilling. Yeah, I mean, Sterling Hayden's agent had told Kubrick after he watched it that he had ruined his career um, <laughs> because the st- he said the storyline, no one could follow it because um, it was just up to that point, you know, linear storyline, like storytelling was pretty much it. Yeah. Um, and this is so like choppy. And I think to a generation that grew up on Tarantino films, it doesn't seem out of the ordinary for us. We're used to, right. you know, jumping around time, you know, time places all that kind of stuff um but at the time people were like i I don't know what's going on um and kubrick actually like recut it as like linear and he said it lost everything it was just so boring and like it, it just had no tension whatsoever um and i think that that's you know to go from killer's kiss which um is i mean it's made really well but it is a story about a boxer that you know, it's generic. It's not, there's nothing in there really that's super new, I guess. And then this is Yeah, just well, as far as like a, the depth of the characters yeah, and the, yeah. you know, the the moral dilemmas and like considering, you know. Yeah. I mean, there's stuff in this film that makes you, you really consider different perspectives and different yeah. lives that people live and the, the circumstances that put them in these situations and, um, whereas Killer's Kiss is just kind of like a fun action movie, and this this really has a lot of like deep thought put into it. Mm-hmm. And I don't know, like maybe that's because it's based on a book, you know? Yeah. Because what was Killer's Kiss an original? I believe that this screenplay. Yeah, I believe that this was like the was this the last original screenplay? No, I don't know. But I think it was no. Well, the killing is based on a book. Yes. Yeah. Um, um, and think, so, and I know that at I think at this point on, everything he did was all based on on literature. That's right. Yeah. Um, that's so. I think yeah. this would be the last um, screenplay. Let me have a look. Yeah, because he, it's himself, Lionel White, and Jim Thompson that are credited as writers. Um, right. I don't see any kind of based on. You know the novel by. Uh, it was based on "Clean Break" by Lionel White. Okay, but I don't know how much it changed. You know. Yeah. Within within the story, but because they, I think I was reading, they originally had they had optioned another novel, like it was called like "The Snatch." Okay. That they it was about kidnapping, but because of the code, you couldn't make a movie about like kidnapping a child. Yeah. And so Lionel White basically traded <laughs> the option, I guess, that they had for the book 
you know, traded the rights for his other book called Clean Break, which is which is the what show. they base this movie yeah. on. Um, and you know, it. I don't know enough about Kubrick yet to really like have a a strong idea or opinion necessarily. Um, or I might have a strong opinion, but I don't, it might not be well founded yet. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, but I, th- it seems like the key to his work maybe now and, and from this point on is that they're all based on literature that like the, you know, the intellectual, yeah. um, core and, and the, the hard, I don't know the clever thinking of it is already kind of done but now he he's got the he's got the sensibility to turn it into a moving picture you know something that yeah. an audience will enjoy um and i know that i mean it was yeah it was like based on this movie that kirk you know kirk douglas was like i need to work with this guy but also marlon brando yeah saw this film <laughs> mm-hmm. and was like i need to work with this guy and uh, unfortunately, did. oh yeah, unfortunately, the project that he worked on with Marlon Brando ended up falling through two weeks before they were supposed to shoot, and so he never, yeah, he, he never a, got to make a movie with them. But he did, he did work with them on the screenplay. Yeah, you know. which is One Eyed Jacks, which is available. It's out there. I think Brando directed it himself, but yeah, Kubrick was worked very closely on like pr- getting that ready to shoot. Um, so there's probably yeah. a lot in there that has Kubrick touch, especially in the script. Yeah. Yeah. So I, I, I have not seen that movie, but I'm like, Oh, I've, I've got to see it because I yeah. love Brando. Obviously I told you in the show that I love the Godfather. So, yeah. Um, I don't know. I feel like I've talked a lot. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I mean, what, what are your thoughts? I, I mean, yeah, I think that this is where we start to, like leading on from what you said, start to see him flexing his intellectual muscles. I think that um, the complexity of the story really pays off um, and it works well. Um, but there's also the whole Kubrick as a filmmaker, you know, he's he's flexing those muscles as well. There's the shot of Sterling Hayden coming into the chess club um, and you see him walk through the door, walk towards the camera, and then the camera zooms out, and it was all from a mirror, so that we can get like yeah. around the corner with him without moving the camera. You know, having to necessarily build that track that goes around a corner that probably wasn't even available at that point. Um, which yeah. every time I see that shot, I'm like, wow, it's just so good. You know, it's that perspective shot that that we love. You know. Um, but I think everybody in this is really good. I think the characters are just likable enough that you're, you know, you're rooting for them throughout the whole film. Yeah, I think that there's there's a few that aren't. Um, I think you know it's it's hard to like Timothy Carey as the shooter, um, just because of that one certain scene. But I think there's a reason why he did yeah. it. I don't think it shows his character. I think it was just the quickest way to get the parking attendant away from him. Yeah, exactly. I mean, it's um, like a moment. It's a it's a huge moment of tension where he's yeah, like, you know, to, he yeah. he's already he's already like wooed this guy in the way that he needs to woo him to get in yeah. to where he needs to go to shoot the horse, 
and then <laughs> and then the guy he like overwoos him. Yeah. So the guy is like, you know, coming around too much. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and then he's like, How do I get this guy out of here? And yeah, he uses the N-word and then but it ends up being the nail in his coffin because like the guy yeah. throws the horseshoe down and runs over it and then and gets killed. Yeah. Um, I mean that's very so I it, think that's themes that we'll see later on. It's just like these touches of like I don't it's not it's like dark it's like black humor almost. It's kinda like Yeah. You know, you couldn't get away because because of that. You know, you were the architect of your own destruction with the horseshoe. Um Well it almost it it almost makes me think even more especially with this scene like think even more about quentin tarantino because yeah. you know we haven't talked about this yet but this film is obviously hugely influenced <laughs> yeah. yeah uh quentin tarantino um in reservoir dogs and and you know more of his work but specifically reservoir dogs because it's a heist film and it's um non-chronological and fragmented and it's storytelling um but yeah, the the use of the N-word in some of his later films where it's like, yeah, this character used the N-word, but now he's going to get what's coming to him kind of yeah. thing. Yeah, exactly, yeah. Um, So it's like, it, you know, it's it's using it to get the audience to hate somebody and then immediately satisfying the audience by, like, killing that person. <laughs> um, but, you know, besides that scene, I mean, that that character um played by timothy Corey, yeah like he's a, he's a very interesting actor you know yeah yeah I've and heard well some, a uh, well-played character yeah i've heard some stories that he's ve- that he was incredibly wild um i, I might be getting mm-hmm. this completely wrong but i'm sure there's a story of a certain set that he came onto with a gun and just started firing in the air at random intervals wow um okay yeah he was um he was a little bit um a little bit off the deep end um so well it probably prepared kubrick a little bit to deal with marlon brando (laughs) (laughs) yeah probably (laughs) um but the one i mean the one guy i do want to talk about is still in hayden because he is yeah you know the main character in this film it's it's him that's trying to go straight um, with it being with the production code, he's not going to get away with it, which I think is always, you know, I want to see him get away with it <laughs> just in, cause it's such yeah. a well choreographed thing. You know, I just, yes. I love the mechanics of it, the leaving something somewhere and then one man le- like going out and then opening the door for another and him rushing in and the diversion and, and just like the, the amount of chess pieces that are, that are in play um at any one yeah. time is just it's great to watch but i think his um like bravado and macho-ness is equal with his like he just doesn't care you know he just wants to get this done and like leave this behind um and i think that it's just it's one of the best last lines in a film is that oh what's the use <laughs> you know they're gonna yeah. get me eventually yeah. i'm not gonna run yeah. like this is over you know yeah, and I mean it makes sense for the character because he's like been in prison before. Yeah, and and it's like you know if he runs, he's gonna get shot. Yeah, and he's already he already knows what life is like in prison. He's just gonna go back. 
He yeah. knows he can survive there. Exactly. Um, yeah. But it did start to get me thinking about this movie as a chess game and, and mm. thinking like, is this, is this movie a chess game? I mean, kind yeah. Like, yeah. Kubrick loved chess. He loved yeah. chess. He played a lot in New York, like in the, in Central Park and stuff like that. Um, so yeah, I mean, this is like the, the games, you know, the, the setting everything up and, and there is, there is a chess game going on at one point in the movie, yeah. you know, so there's a reference to it, but it got me thinking, have, do you play chess? Have you played chess before? I haven't. Or do no, you play? I really want to. Um, it's a lot of fun. We should play next time we get together. Yeah. Um, and I'll, I'll teach you and stuff, but like, so I played, I played a little bit when I was a kid cause I, we had like a homeschool chess club <laughs> yeah. and then, uh, I've always really liked the game, but, um, ironically before I knew Kubrick really was into chess, um, just a few months ago before Christmas, um, my, uh, my sister and my brother-in-law have a, a chess table in their kitchen that they kind of use as like a breakfast table. Cool. Sometimes it's just like in the corner. So it's yeah. not always in use, you know, but, uh, you know, just before Christmas, I like pulled out all the chess pieces and set them all up. And, uh, and then me and my brother-in-law started playing and we played this very long game of chess that took like a month wow. <laughs> because, because we kind of did it very passively. Like we, yeah. uh, we he he wrote our names on like a sticky note you know my name on one side his name on the other because we would just you know anytime we were in the kitchen we'd be like oh it's my turn and then we'd you know kind of look at the board and figure out our next move make our move and then flip the card over so that you know he knew it was his turn so we just kind of very passively like played this game for a month that ended just a few days ago literally wow wow uh and then since then, like in the past few days, we've played like another four games, <laughs> which is ironic because it's yeah. like it took us a month to play the first game <laughs> and then it was like on. It was like, all right, let's go. Yeah. <laughs> uh, but it really got me thinking about the end of this movie because, um, yeah, at the end, Sterling Hayden, like basically the way that you win chess is you've got to you've got to get the your the the point of the game is that you're. Um, you're trying to kill the king, yeah. But you don't. But when you win, you don't actually ever kill the king. You just get the king in a in a in a spot to where he, if no matter what moves, like he's yeah, he's in checkmate. So yeah. he he's currently the like the next. Yeah, it's like I, you know, the next move I make, like I can kill you. Yeah, and there's nowhere you can. There's no move you can make to where you're not in another spot where I can kill you. Yeah, and it's like that's what's going on with Sterling Hayden at the end yeah. of this movie because like he's got no other moves and he's like, what's the point? That's yeah. I mean, that's a great point, and it definitely like coincides with Kubrick's personal like enjoyment. You know, so that is yeah. I mean, I think you've hit the nail right on the head there. I think that's absolutely right. Um, plus like all the other characters yeah they know, fall within one the, by one within the yeah. film mm -hmm. they're like different little chess pieces you know yeah yeah and you know he's even got his pawns which are like the um uh what's his name the maurice yeah um yeah 
played by uh, Cola uh, Quariani. Yeah, I think so. Probably he butchering was, that. I think he was a friend of Kubrick's from so maybe from, from the playing ch- chess. From playing chess, yeah, yeah. And he, yeah, and so I mean, he's he's like a part of. He's not a part of the heist, but he's like a paid hand, which kind of yeah. makes me think like, oh, he's like a pawn, kind of. Yeah. Like he's, mm-hmm. you know, <laughs> he's just being used to distract these other pieces. Um, and, <laughs> I love uh, when he rips his shirt off. <laughs> yeah, like that whole scene with him where he's like, he's he's like hulking out. It yeah. was like it was amazing. It was like yeah. so not what I expected. I, I was like, oh my god, <laughs> like this guy is a badass. Like, yeah. <laughs> um, and then and then of course I started thinking more deeply about it and thinking about Tarantino, and was like, I wonder if Tarantino based, um, you know, the guy that like puts the the whole heist together yeah. in All right, Rumble, Dogs let's get on this guy, yeah. Yeah, like, and, you know, because they reference him as, like, being, looking like the thing in the hall. And, <laughs> yeah. sorry, in Reservoir Dogs. Um, God, I can't remember the character's name, but you know who I'm talking about. I do, um, yeah. That, yeah, made me wonder if there was another another influence there. But, but yeah, I mean, oh, just sure. so many, such a great cast of characters because they're all so different you know they all play an important role but then they all all have like different character traits yeah um yeah it just makes me wonder like how how uh innovative was this film you know yeah i'm sure i mean other things that had come out i think that i mean the things to keep in mind about this is that noir at this point was starting to wind down you know, we'd, we'd had the post-war period, the boom mm. of the noir film, and this is kind of the tail end of it. But it's still, it doesn't feel repetitive. You know, I've seen a lot of noir films, and this is still head and shoulders above, like, the majority of them. Um, yeah. And I think that that is, you know, that's part of the inv- um, the way that Kubrick kind of runs with it and creates something different out of it. Um, and also just the, like, the back... It, it is just a simple story, but it's just it's not. It's using cinema and the 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 tools that are available. You know, being able to cut, being able to show different points of view, being able to have a narrator, exactly. um, yeah. being able to kind of direct your your eyeline to something in particular is just used to maximum effect. It's not just a point yeah. and shoot anymore. It's a okay. I'm going to show. I'm going to tell this story. And use every possible point of this medium that I can to get it across. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, and I think that's uh that's definitely the the brilliant part about this film because yeah. because it's simple, but yeah, but it's I mean it's heart throbbing like yeah, like it's so intense. <laughs> yeah, and I think it's so intense the whole time that you're you're just on the edge of your seat. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. And I I just I think that also it, it rewards rewatches like once you know how it ends. Going back and watching it, you know, there's um the the bartender at the um at the racetrack, I forget his name. Um but he Mike. Mike, that's by it. Joe yeah. Sawyer. That's it. Yeah. When he kind of leaves his wife at home and he's like, Yeah, I'll I'll pick up your magazines on the way home, you know, make sure to have breakfast. And then when you watch it again, spoiler alert. And you know that he's died, like he's going to die, like pretty soon. It's, yeah, it's just like there's all these like 
yeah, it's again, I know we said it in um, like, I know we've talked about this before, but it's these scenes that didn't need to be in there. You know, that didn't add anything. We already knew he was married and he had an invalid wife. It just makes it, it just makes the characters more, you know, we're rooting for them a lot more. Um, yeah. And I think only someone that understands storytelling and understands, uh, you know, the the viewer's point of view can get that. Yeah, definitely. Um, I think the, the characters that really made me uh, engage with the film right off the bat the first time I watched it was George and Sherry. Yes. <laughs> yeah. Because, <laughs> yeah. like, there's such a... They're, they're, like, a couple that I don't think I've really seen in this no. kind of film. Mm. Um, You know, where, like, the wife is so disinterested and married him for money, but he doesn't really have money. Yeah. And, you know, they talk... They talk in a way that is so... um, I don't know how to describe it. They're, like... They're, like, poking at each other. Mm-hmm with their dialogue, you know, trying to get under each other's skin. You know, they know what, you know, they know what kind of relationship they have, but then it's yeah. also very manipulative. Yeah. Um but yeah, Marie Windsor plays mm-hmm. Sherry and Alicia Cook Jr. Yeah. plays George the meatball with gravy. <laughs> <laughs> um but yeah, apparently like Stanley Kubrick waited to shoot the film because he was waiting for Marie Windsor to be done with another film she was working on because he was like, I've got to have her. Which is kind of crazy to me to think about because Stanley Kubrick is not, you know, his relationships with actors at this point is almost non-existent. Yeah, yeah, exactly. I think, I mean, the whole, the, the way that this film got financed is because they got Sterling Hayden. Um, you know, they went to yeah. the, the studio and they were like, um, United Artists, and they were like, look, like we've got this script ready to go. And they're like, we're, we're not going to bankroll it unless you have a, a star. Um, they got Sterling Hayden and United Artists were like, we've got someone else in mind, but he's not going to be ready for 18 months. And they were like, I'm not going to wait around for 18 months for someone that hasn't read the script when I've got someone who's read the script and willing to do it now. Um, so they made it for a lot lower budget than like they had anticipated. Um, yeah. But yeah, I mean, like, but then, like you said, kind of waiting and shooting around someone to get someone in there is not very, like, I don't know, it's not very young director, is it? It's just like, oh, I'm going to take whoever I can get that I think. Yeah, I mean, for for a guy who who got his career started in photography and then happened upon filmmaking because he thought he could make money from it, but still hasn't made money from it yet at this point when he's making this movie. (laughs) Um, To have the sensibility to be like, this actress is going to make the movie. Yeah. Like make or break it kind of a thing, which in some ways she does because I, you know, I don't know that this film would hold up as well now without her. Hmm. Um, Yeah. Because she's, you know, I mean, she's she's great. She's amazing. Yeah, she is. Yeah, she is. I mean, she's the only female part apart from uh, Faye, who would become yeah. Faye Clay, which I always found found very funny. Um, but she, 
and and then the <laughs> other and then the wife of Mike as well, of course. But um, but she's the yeah, one that has yeah. the majority of the stuff to do. I mean, she's when you're talking about yeah. chess, she's kind of like the hidden piece that brings everything down. You know, mm-hmm. um, yeah, she's the queen on the other side. Yeah, yeah, that's it. Um, she can move anywhere. Yeah, it's uh, <laughs> it's just it's. I just love these stories of like, especially when it's around a heist where just one thing starts to unravel the whole, you know, the whole block. It just starts to crumble from just one mistake. Um, oh, it's fascinating. Yeah. It's absolutely fascinating. And and I think Kubrick knows that, and he takes great joy in showing you where it's falling down. Yeah. Yeah. Definitely. I mean, there's there's so many good scenes between Marie Windsor and yeah. uh, Alicia mm-hmm. Cook. Yeah. Like, the, I mean, their dialogue, like everything is just like it's so it's so great to watch them on screen. But then Marie Windsor does get some scenes with Sterling Hayden, which are interesting as well. You know, yeah, I mean, their yeah. their screen presence is great. Um, <laughs> oh my God, Sterling Hayden has this line that i i just couldn't believe i mean it's of a time yeah you know i mean it's 1956 obviously (laughs) but like i just could like it's hard for me to believe that this kind of thing was allowed on like uh, or this kind of dialogue was allowed um now i'm trying to find it because i yeah he says no that's not it um God, where did where did I I just saw it. He <laughs> he says that he's gonna slap that face into hamburger meat. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I'm like, what the fuck? <laughs> like it's just like Jesus Christ. Like that is yeah. such a terrible piece of dialogue. Like but it, but isn't it a great piece of dialogue? Because I think at that point, I mean, yes, but like, like sleepily kind of going through this, like creating the scene, and that is like, oh, he could like he could kill somebody very easily. It kind of brings it back yeah. to you that like he could, you know, especially the meatball with gravy, he could break his legs like it, it was yeah. just a snap, you know. Um, yeah, but yeah, it is very like. <laughs> Just the and the visceral image of hamburger meat. Yeah, but it's almost just so nonchalantly, passively said that, like, I was like, "What? What did he just say?" Yeah. <laughs> like, yeah. the other ones Lord. are like, "Yeah, good one, Johnny. You could do that." <laughs> <laughs> oh man, um, but yeah, like, there's like so many. Yeah, such a good ensemble of actors and characters. I think yeah. that mm-hmm. that I don't know. Um, I mean, there's been great ensembles probably before this, but I don't, I don't know that they're handled as good as this was. Agreed. Yeah, I think you come away from it, um, and everyone has done their part. You know, everyone has played a part in the storytelling um, that adds to it. You know, I don't think there's any weak. Yeah storyline to it um it's uh man yeah it's fantastic yeah it's good stuff so i 
uh, I found out this film is on, it, it's in the Criterion Collection. Yeah. Um, and I think this is the first so far of of Kubrick's films in the Criterion Collection. That's right. Uh, I which think that Killer's Kiss. How many? I think Killer's Kiss might be a special feature on it. As like oh wow the film it is on the because I've got the Arrow version from England of the Killing and it, uh-huh. that's it's a special feature on that. That is so crazy. Yeah, it's not. They you don't buy think one it's movie and enough. you get a whole nother movie as a special feature. Yeah, don't think it's good enough to put out on its own. But yet, Fear and Desire did. I don't know. Um, I can't believe people don't think yeah. that Killer's Kiss is good enough to put out on its own. I know. That's mind-blowing to me personally. <laughs> yeah. But it's also a short, it's an hour and seven minutes, so maybe they're like, this isn't a movie. But like, <laughs> yeah. Um, but yeah, in terms of what's on the criterion, so there's, so there's this, there's Doctor Strangelove, um, there is Spartacus on DVD, not had a Blu-ray of that yet. Um, Paths of Glory. Is that it? And Barry Lyndon. Barry Lyndon, that's right. Yeah. Um, yeah, so five? Yeah, I think so. Five. Mm. Um, which it, which probably makes sense because it's like, I I think... You know, those are hit, those are obviously all amazing films. Yeah, but they're um, they're not like the ones that were box office successful necessarily, or yeah. like you know, uh, cult classics or whatever. It's like the deeper um, dives. Is like you're yeah, you're only going to pick yeah. these up if you're a not if you're a Kubrick fan, but if you are interested in cinema. You know, it's like yeah, it's it's like The Shining and 2001: Space Odyssey already have yeah. like massive distribution. They don't need to like Criterion doesn't need to come in and be like this is an important film. Like everybody knows it, you know. Yeah. Um. Whereas like his other work, not necessarily. Yeah, and it's just it's just nice to have them available. You know, I just like yeah. the fact that all of them are available in one way or another, um, in good restorations. It yes. doesn't happen a lot. Um, yeah. But yeah, I mean, I'll, I'll have to double check to see if it is on the Criterion as a special feature. Yeah. Let me have a look. Um, the other question I have is, yeah. uh, was Marvin Gaye? And I don't mean Marvin Gaye as in the singer. I mean, <laughs> was Marvin Gaye? I mean, is Marvin Gaye? <laughs> I mean, Marvin as, you know, the character as played by JC Flippin, which mm. also kind of sounds like a hip hop artist. Yeah. Because <laughs> <laughs> um, there's that whole scene with him and, you know, Johnny Clay, where he's like, maybe you and I could just go off together. I don't know something about marriage. And you're like, Oh yeah. What? What? Yeah. I know um, it is. A, it is a bit jarring. Um, I don't know. Yeah. Cause it is left field. It's not like, like, you know, these two are like so buddy buddy that that would be, you know, that that would be a joke, you know, like, Oh, we, we got on so well. We yeah. might as well be married, you know? 
Um, yeah, but it's like as soon as he mentions marriage, Johnny Clay is like, ah, oh, you silly guy. Yeah. He like rubs his head and it's like, oh, maybe. Hmm, interesting. Yeah. Um, and, it, you know, it's not, it's not totally out of the question because uh, like if you search for um, this question on Google, yeah, you'll find a ton of articles about it. Oh, um, I'm sure. So, yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, so it, it is, it is an interesting little, um, slip of possible queer representation in there, which I find fascinating. Yeah. Yeah. That is interesting. I mean, mm. yeah, cause it is, maybe that's just to get it past the sensor. Pro- possibly something we're going to have to discuss further later. Yeah. Yeah. Well. Yeah, well, we'll keep hold of this. We'll make we we should have like a list of, of things that we want to see if if it's a theme or not running on. Um, yeah, exactly. Yeah, but yeah, I, I mean, Killer's Kiss is added on the Killing Criterion Blu-ray as an extra. Hell yeah! Well, I'm gonna buy all of these. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> I I'm not a super big fan of the title, The Killing. I get yeah. it. Yeah, yeah, I get it because it like kind of makes the film more marketable i guess because it's like oh this is going to be an exciting action movie or suspense like and it is that so it kind of helps to sell the the movie i guess yeah but it's i don't i don't as far as like the movie goes in general i don't like the title like the title doesn't fit i don't get it yeah i mean it doesn't yeah it doesn't scream you know I don't know, memorable, does it? I, I don't know what the title could have been before, but when you think of other noirs along this, you know, like Asphalt Jungle, um, you know, stuff like that, just some really evocative titles. This is very boring. Yeah. But I mean, Wait, I and think the novel something... was called Clean Break, which Clean I don't Break. know if it's any better, really. Yeah. But no. like, um, but I mean, you could have called it like the horse race heist <laughs> or something, yeah. and I would have liked that more. <laughs> like, yeah the horse heist race tracking like, down yeah <laughs> chess <laughs> chess the movie <laughs> oh dear um the one the last thing i do want to just mention just in terms of like inspiration i mean the the clown kind of mask that he wears mm-hmm. into the bank robbery um that's like influence the dark knight right yeah definitely absolutely it's like exactly the same mask yeah um and it's a you know it's a heist as well that's going on which i i think is the is the first time in the movie you know obviously this thought has has uh spread into other parts of the movie since i've i've started thinking about it but when he when he first puts on that mask and the first time I saw it, I was yeah. like, "Oh, the Dark Knight." Yeah. But I was also like, "Man, what would it have been like to experience this film back in 1956? Like how? Like it's so hard to like put yourself there yeah. because of how many other movies have been have taken stuff from this movie." Yeah, yeah. I mean, the other similarity is there's only one that survives in Dark Knight from the heist team. Yeah. And he, I mean, he gets away, but <laughs> <laughs> not at the very, very end. 
That's right. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Right. Um, Right. Shall we put it in our Kubrick ranking? Um, So far. I think so. So far, we've got Killer's Kiss at number one, Fear and Desire at number two. Um, Where are we going to put it? But before we do that, let's guess what the other person rated it on Letterboxd. (laughs) Yeah, let's do that. Saved Um, it. I'm pretty sure you rate this five out of five. Okay. I'm pretty gonna, sure. I'm going to say that you rated it five out of five, too. Okay. Um, it's a four and a half. Okay. Yeah. I think it's it's as close to five as can get with not quite reaching it. Um, yeah. There's just, you know, there's just one or two slight things in there that I'm not a huge fan of. Um, But nothing, like, nothing major. You know, it's not like, nothing that would put me off. I don't know. And a part of it, as you brought in doubt, I don't, I really don't like the title. Um, Yeah. Mm -hmm. But I think that it's like 4.9. You know, it's so close to Mm -hmm. a five. Um, But, I mean, I need to go watch it again. I always feel like that after I've watched it. So maybe, it, it, I mean, it's going to be a five eventually. I know it, but. Yeah, yeah. Uh, it's a four for me. Wow. Yeah. Um, I I think maybe it's because, well, Killer's Kiss, like I said, I love like filmmakers' first films. Yeah, and Killer's Kiss is is more of that indie first film kind of feel, whereas this does kind of feel more studioy. Killer's Kiss has more uh, interesting, creative cinematography to me. Mm-hmm. Even though Killer's Kiss, I mean, even though The Killing has some very good technical cinematography, and the scale of it is big, and like the horse, yeah. like obviously the scale of like the actual horse racing is huge and you've got, you know, you've got all that production value. But to me, that's just production value. You know, to me, that's just, oh, you paid a bunch of people to be there, you know, and yeah. like the, this you know, there's some great cinematography where you've got, you know, you've got these long tracking shots that are following these characters through these big scenes, but they're kind of just all wide. Yeah. And, and, and it's not, it's very technically, hard to do yes but it's not creative in a way you know no, what i mean yeah. and and maybe it was more exciting at the time you know but today to me it's not that exciting as far as cinematography goes mm-hmm. um and i know that like stanley kubrick and the cinematographer um like had some budding heads like they they yeah. they weren't getting along on the set and to I the think, point where the cinematographer stopped showing up to like the viewings of the dailies. Um, yeah, yeah, what were you gonna say? I was just gonna say people on the set credit this film as when Kubrick became, you know, the or, the authority on set. They were like, up until this point, he was doing everything and kind of just like getting by with what he could do, um, and then this film was where someone kind of pushed back against his vision and he was like, you either do what I ask you to do or you get off my set, which is pretty much what he told the cinematographer. 
Um, yeah, and it and it, I mean, it's a little nasty and icky or whatever. Mm-hmm. But like, I get. Yeah, I mean, where Stanley is coming from because he's got like a photography background. Yeah, I you mean, know, the, the and whole... he's he's like pushing the boundaries and he's doing things that like nobody's tried yet. Which I yeah. think maybe is part of the reason Stanley became successful because he wasn't necessarily getting into filmmaking because it was like his lifelong dream. No, he he just happened to get into it and then was good at it. You know yeah. what I mean? So yeah. he he was able to, you know, like when you have sometimes have these cinematographers that have made a ton of films, they're like, no, this is the way it's done, and you've got this person that's like. I don't give a fuck about the way it's done. Do yeah, it like this. this. Yeah. And the whole yeah. the whole way that that came about was like they were setting up a shot and Kubrick was like, okay, I want like I want it to dolly like this way and I want to use this kind of lens. Um, so we let them set up and then he came back and it was like the dolly track was not set up right and he was like setting up a different kind of lens. And as and just because this cinematographer had been in the business a little bit more was like okay this is how i want to do it like this is how i think it should be done but as a like as a director that's just still finding your feet that is a make or break moment it's like do you like just take take that and be like okay i guess you know we're just doing it this way or do you do what kubrick did and be like no i'm telling you this is how i want it um and if you can't do it i'll find someone else that can um and i think that it, it works i think that's something again we'll see Moving on, just this complete control over every detail. Yeah. To achieve this. Yeah, vision. exactly. Yeah. Um, yeah, and that makes a lot of sense that that's like almost what started to define what he was yeah. going to do with the rest of his filmmaking career. Um, Lucian Ballard is the cinematographer's name. I didn't want to just keep being no, like the cinematographer. The cinematographer. Yeah. Um, and he had worked um, on some really like. Like some big films, you know, he'd kind of, he he came with a really good uh, pedigree um, to this. So it wasn't like he was in Kubrick's position. He was still finding his feet. You know, he had, um, he'd worked on other stuff as well. And Kubrick still was like, this is how we're doing it. Well, exactly. I mean, and this is also like, this is also Kubrick's first, like, uh, studio or partially studio yeah. funded film and a lot of times I think with these you know when a studio decides to fund a filmmaker that they don't that's not bankable yet that's a first time filmmaker that they don't you know that doesn't have experience they'll put people on the set that do have a lot of experience to kind of like be a fail safe yeah you know, they're like, mm-hmm. okay, well, here's a cinematographer that at least will shoot it right. <laughs> yeah, well, I mean, this was the point because it was, you know, because it wasn't made for a low budget because they actually had back in, they had to have, like, they were contractedly obliged to have a cinematographer to have all these people, um, mm. you know, be part of it because of the, um, the, was it the Film Actors Guild or something, the... It was some kind of organization that made sure that people were, you know, employed on stuff like this. So he had to have this team, you know, but there was also, okay, I'm going to control it my way. Yeah. Um, I think that this is going to be our first disagreement of where we put it on the Kubrick ranking. I mean, probably, uh, you know, I mean, it's, 
it's in terms of enjoyment, I like Killer's Kiss more. Yeah. You know? Yeah. But I mean, uh, shall I make my case? Are we getting so religious about this? I know. <laughs> I think that when I think that the killing is a better movie. And I think that's what I'm basing it on. I think the storyline is more complex. The the way that the camera is moved is is better. And I know that comes with like a higher budget and having more people around him as well. But I think the killing is a better example and I can see those muscles being flexed. Yeah. And that's why I would put it above Killer's Kiss. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, I don't have a problem with that. I mean, I I, I figure I I have to kind of give a little. Bit. <laughs> <laughs> I'm I'm not gonna necessarily fight you on this, <laughs> I th- but I do think that the the killer's kiss is gonna be like, um, like the first um, the first film in the Leone series was. I think we're gonna come back to that again and again and be like, this was a surprise. Yeah. You know, this was like yeah, really exactly, a surprise yeah. for me. Well, I mean, it almost seems like, yeah, I mean, it seems like the world agrees with you. It's like the killer's kiss is a special feature yeah, on the killing. It's not yeah. like it's got its own special thing release. Going. Yeah, I know. And, I, you know, not there's not a lot of stuff out there about people talking about it the way no. that I did, you know. Yeah, I really um, think that you could have you definitely done like a double disc set. You know, like Stanley right. Kubrick kills it. <laughs> Killers kiss and the killer. <laughs> yeah, that's a good, yeah. <laughs> but yeah, it is, it is odd that it's just put on as a special feat. But I mean, yeah, maybe maybe we should champion it more. Yeah, I mean, I think I champion it pretty hard. I, I mean, think we put. Have, I mean, yeah. I put out, yeah, we put out that little clip today of me yeah. being like, oh my God, this movie was so good. So maybe, you know, that'll mm. turn some people on to it, but. Just go and watch it. Like it's a blast. All these are such a blast. I think that the yeah, more we get, you can on, the find more... like these movies yeah. are kind of. I guess they're in like the public domain or something now. Uh, sort of like Killer's Kiss was on uh, Tubi for free. It's got yeah. ads, but you can find it. Like you don't even have to make an account. You can watch it. And then The Killing is on Pluto with ads, but it's also art on archive.org for free. Yeah. Um. Yeah. Yeah, um, yeah. Go and watch them because I think that the further we get into Kubrick, the more like um, I say that I shouldn't have said that with a sigh because it made it sound like I'm not looking forward to it. But I think they're a bit more open for interpretation. Where these are just fun films, you know. There's no yeah. like heavy lifting that has to be done. Um, it's just like I'm going to sit back and I'm going to enjoy 80 minutes of storytelling. Yeah. Yeah, they're great. Um, So what are we watching next week, Brandon? So, as I mentioned earlier, Kirk Douglas was so impressed with this film that he sought out the director for his next project, which Mm. is Paths of Glory from 1957. Yes. That's what we're watching. The next Kubrick movie. A war picture. Um, as, <laughs> as Hitchcock would say, um, yeah, I'm excited to go back to this one. It's been a long time, but I'm excited to go back and yeah. uh, 
It's one of those that there's certain bits that visually stay in my head. So I'm excited to go back and see them again. Passive Glory will is not the first and will not be the last Kubrick war picture. That's right. Whoa. Now that's a tantalizing taster if ever I've if ever I've heard one. Um but I think that brings us to the end of the show. Um you can find the show on Twitter and Instagram at Film Church Radio, and you can follow us individually on Letterboxd. Brendan is at Selman Scope and I am at Walker Lewis3007. Um you can keep up with what we've been watching um over there um, and follow along with us. If you see something that we're watching that we liked, watch it too. Um, we also have all our back episodes streaming on all good podcast platforms. Please leave us a rating review so we know if you like the film. If you don't, and what would you pick for us to watch in the future? Um, but Brandon, I think all that's left to say is... I saw something kind of nice on coming home on the train tonight. Something, well, that kind of sweet. A candy bar, Lewis? No, not a candy bar donut. That line, I think that line is what got me in this movie. Like, it made me go, uh, this is a good movie. I was like, laughing my butt off. I need to go and watch it right now. We'll see y'all next week. Save Film Church Press. Amen. Amen. <laughs>